entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded, traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he, and he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at the coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sister Akite. Well, we're in for a treat. We have a, a special guest preacher here with us this morning. And this time of year is kind of a back-to-school time of year, especially this weekend being Labor Day weekend. And that includes college students who are swinging into town and starting up classes, whether as returning students or brand-new students. And today uh, we have a, a, a special time with a campus leader uh, campus minister in our midst. Our guest preacher today is uh, our brother Ryan Bratt, who is the campus uh, minister of Reformed University Fellowship, RUF, at the University of Maryland. And Ryan actually was first a ruling elder at our Grace Downtown community, a uh, beloved brother, who then sensed a calling to become a teaching elder, also in our tradition known as a pastor preaching and ministering the sacraments, uh, leading communities um, together. And so it's a joy to see not only his calling develop, but also for him to start afresh this fall as uh, in a new calling at the University of Maryland. Uh, we're grateful for Ryan, uh, a wonderful brother and um, 
uh, here together with his wonderful wife, Hannah, uh, who has also for a number of years been a member of our Grace Downtown uh, community. So grateful that both of you are able to join us here. So Ryan, come on up and join us. And the rest of us, can we please welcome our brother warmly? Thanks so much. Listen, normally when I have preached at Grace Downtown after Ryan leads, I would need to lower the microphone. This time it goes the other direction, so here, here, here we go, right? Uh, thank you, Duke. Well, good morning, y'all. Can you hear me okay? A little higher? How about this? A little better? All right. Well, hey, it's really exciting to be with you all this morning. Thank you for the invitation uh, to come and to share. As Duke said, uh, Hannah and I have been at Grace Downtown for the last 10 years until about two weeks ago. So there's always, I feel like there's always going to be a part of our hearts where the Grace Down, the whole Grace DC network feels like home for us. So it's a joy to be here, to be with you all, to worship with you all, um, and to connect and open God's word together too. If y'all don't mind, I'm going to share just a couple minutes here about RUF because this is something that's really exciting for me. It's new for me. I just started in June as the RUF campus minister at the University of Maryland uh, taking over for what might be a pretty familiar name to some of you, Chris Garriott, brother of Chuck, uh, who was there for 17 years uh, at the University of Maryland. Did wonderful work there. Um, I would cover your prayers for just this transition for uh, helping the students in this transition. I'm a very different person from Chris. Um, and there's just a lot of, you know, changes going on in general. Um, but very thankful for our uh, sister Amanda Jacana, who's over at uh, Grace Mosaic with her husband Caleb. She's been just an incredible support and incredible help uh, to me getting this transition going and getting used to life at the University of Maryland. We also ask for your prayers um, Really for, I mean, for a couple of things. For the University of Maryland, I know we kind of feel it in our ministry and talking to other people's, it feels like there's a lot of renewed energy on campus this fall. Like we have more freshmen than we've ever had wandering through our doors. It feels like there's more life just around campus in general. So please pray for all the campus ministries at Maryland. Pray for crew and IV. And um, we'd also ask for your prayers for us too. And if uh, you could also pray for Amanda and I as we um, raise support this fall, that's going to be a big part of our lives this fall. That is, our, um, we, uh, we, we are able to work because of the support that we raise from local churches and individuals. So we would uh, cover y'all's prayers uh, for that as well. All right, let's, uh, let's pray together and uh, get into God's word for us. Lord God, we thank you for... Um, your gifts for us. And Lord, we long to be good stewards, uh, not for our own ends, but for your glory and to see your name and your kingdom spread. So will you open up your word for us this morning? Will you um, show us your heart for us? Will you show us your words of life and how to apply them into our day-to-day -day lives? Lord, we pray these things knowing that we need your spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Before I uh, entered ministry full-time, I um, spent about 10 years working in uh, medical research, kind of on the data side of things, uh, in a sort of typical office environment. And I remember when I, when I started that job, I had some uh, connections there 
when I got there. And so I had told some people, you know, this is the person who's going to be my manager. This is going to be the person I'm reporting to. And I got this word of like, watch out, you know. She's very smart. She's very capable. She's very particular. And she has very high standards, just so you know. So there was this, uh, this adjustment period for me as I got started at this new uh, workplace as a young person fresh out of college. Um, and my supervisor, her name was Carrie, she was very, people were right, she was very particular. She was very involved in my day-to-day. She was very involved in my learning, and you could tell right away she knew what she was doing. She was very competent, and she had very high standards for my work and for the work of our team. And so once I got to that point in my career where I could start doing things more independently, managing more processes myself, even like talking to clients more, on my own, to hear that feedback from her of, you know, Ryan, you did a really great job. That just meant so much to me. To hear it from her because I knew that she wasn't just being nice because I had worked with her and she wouldn't just lie about it. I knew that she was competent and if I had messed up somewhere, it wasn't going to slide. She would have known. And to hear her say to me, Ryan, you did a great job. That meant a lot. And, you know, we uh, tend to have a pretty low view of authority in our context in the 21st century American world. We want our leaders to be uh, somebody that we can sit down and have a cup of coffee with. We want our authority figures to be very close to us. We don't want there to be a lot of distance between ourselves and authority. But even in our context, even in that context, I think for everyone in this room, there is somebody in your life, some person for whom if they told you, you did a great job, I appreciate you. That would mean the world to us. We all have people like that in our lives whose approval and appreciation we want. Sometimes we crave even. The Christian story is that someday everybody on earth will come before their maker, will come before God after their life has ended. And the destiny of every single person who puts their faith in Christ and rests in his saving work for you the creator of the universe who spoke the entire universe into existence by the power of his word, that same God will speak over you, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. That is your destiny, followers of Christ. That is what you were made for. That is the approval, the only approval that will ultimately satisfy us, and that is our destiny as believers in Christ. But what do we do in the meantime? How do, we, uh, how do we live and serve and work in this world as people who are waiting for that day? Jesus, the context of this passage here, Jesus is telling a series of, of parables about waiting for the end times, about waiting for his second coming. And so that's where our parable fits into this, this morning. And Jesus' answer to how to wait well is that we are called to be servants. We are called to be stewards of what has been given to us in his life. We are called to wait, not passively, but expectantly and eagerly. We're called to work and serve as we wait. So Jesus uses this parable this morning. Parables are these stories that are just filled with uh, moral and ethical and faith and Christian life application and meaning for us and teaching us about what the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God that Jesus established and has brought into this world. 
Jesus uses this parable about the vocation of a servant to teach us about how to wait well, how to live as a people who wait for future hope. He uses work as a way to teach us how to be faithful. This seemingly very low and ordinary occupation of being a servant is the model that Jesus uses for life in his kingdom as we wait with hope for the time when we are welcomed into joy everlasting. We're going to look at two things together uh, as we unpack this parable. We're going to look at the call to service and the perfect, the, sorry, the purpose of service. The call to service and the purpose of service. First, the call. One of the things about uh, Jesus' context that's very different from our own and that requires a little bit of, of, of background work before we dig too deeply into this uh, is just how common this, uh, this master-servant relationship was in this era. We don't really like the idea of calling any other human being our master, and understandably, but one of the things about this context that might be a little unusual for us is that a lot of different relationships actually fell under this master-servant dichotomy, relationships that we probably wouldn't expect in our context, would have been totally normal things in this day and age. So for example, if you were a really wealthy person, uh, you didn't wander over to Fidelity to hire a financial planner to take care of your money, you hired a servant or multiple servants to take care of your money. Or if you wanted your children educated, you didn't just send them off to school, you hired a well-educated servant to be their tutor, to be responsible for their education. Wealthy people hired servants for a wide range of different responsibilities in this context. And that's just the way that their economy was structured. A lot of important positions were held by people who were called servants. While we certainly don't want to reinstitute uh, the way that their economy was structured in our context, there is something that Jesus points out that is helpful for us in thinking about how we relate to God as servants in his household, as servants in his kingdom. This is an uh, appropriate way to think about our role and our calling as servants of God. And so we see here in this parable, Jesus tells us that a wealthy man goes on a journey. He has gone for what seems like a long time, and he has servants whom he has hired, whose abilities he knows well, and whom he entrusts as they are capable of handling his money, his property. So he leaves them each in charge of different amounts of money. And uh, this is a lot of money that he's leaving them, this word talent that we see here. So one talent would have been about 20 years wages, basically, for an everyday person in this context, an everyday laborer. So when we see five talents, we're talking about millions of dollars. Here, this is no small thing that the master leaves for his servants. It's a significant amount that has been entrusted to them. And they're all entrusted with something different, but each of them is entrusted with something significant, something that is of great value to their master. I think one of the first questions that Jesus wants us to consider together as we think about this parable together is, do you believe that you have been entrusted with what you have? Do you believe that you are a, a, a self-made person who can use what you've earned as you see fit? Or do you believe that you are a servant in the kingdom of King Jesus and that all good gifts that have been given to you have been given to you, that they could also be taken away from you? Because what you have been given, whether it's a, a, the spiritual gift of teaching or encouragement or hospitality, 
whether it's uh, skills and talents in your day-to-day vocation, whether it's material possessions, what you have been given was not given to you by accident. It was not given to you indiscriminately. It was given to you by someone who knows you. It was given to you by somebody who had a good reason to give it to you. One of the things about understanding our calling as servants in God's kingdom is acknowledging that we are called to the work that we have been given. We have been entrusted with something. This is how Jesus tells us to think about our work and our service. I, uh, I'm not a huge like Marvel guy, but I find that I, I usually enjoy the origin stories in the Marvel universe. There's this, uh, there's this pattern that develops, this familiar pattern that uh, for some reason I enjoy <laughs> watching where uh, some average everyday person will all of a sudden realize like they have some special power, right? Some superpower, some uh, superhero ability out of this world powers. But then they always have this moment where they question what they have, where they try to like hold it to themselves. They're like, what should I be doing with this? Or I don't actually, I can't wield this. What am I doing? And then something happens in the story, something that connects this power to some personal event in their life, some personal purpose that they have. And it's only when they see that purpose, when they see that meaning of what they've been given, that they then embrace the calling that they have, right? Where they realize that there is a greater purpose to the gift or the power, in their case, that they have been given. That's why Jesus uses this language of being entrusted. The servants didn't stumble upon what they had. They didn't stumble upon something that was their master's that they should not have been a part of. No, the master's very intentional about what he gives and how much he gives to each of them. And he gave you what has been given to you because he knows you. Been entrusted with something by God and a Savior who knows you and your abilities, and that is why you have been entrusted with it. This isn't just a word also for, for people with a lot of money or with a lot of resources. How we steward and take care of our financial gifts is an obvious kind of application here and is an important one. But what kind of gifts has God given you to use in this church or in your community or in your place of work or in your neighborhood? There are a, a few problems with the way that this third servant handles this situation, but one of them is that he doesn't actually see the ability that he has, right? Look at this with me. The master in the parable has given to each according to his abilities, but does this third servant believe that he is someone who actually has the ability? Does he understand what his master has called him to? No, he acts as if his master made a mistake, was doing something wrong. He's completely missing the fact that his master gave him what he did because he knows that this servant has the ability to be faithful with what he's been given. If God gives you a gift, it's because he's given you the ability to use it. In God's kingdom, you will never be called to do something that you do not have the ability to do. God will never do that to you. And if you have a gift that is meant for service in God's kingdom, he gave you that gift knowing full well what your abilities are, what you are capable of. And I do think there's a really important place for kind of prayerful introspection as we think about our own lives and as we reflect on our own gifts and think about uh, how we are working and serving. But I know for me this is, can sometimes lead into like this, uh, this spiral of, of guilt about how we're using our gifts, right? Like, what are my gifts? Am I using them well enough? Am I doing enough? 
to be considered one of these first two servants. So maybe one thing we can do as uh, we reflect on this text and think about giftedness is to think about it in terms of a community as well, to process together as a community. So instead of maybe asking the question, am I doing enough with what I've been gifted? Maybe let's rephrase that to a different question. When was the last time you encouraged someone else in their gifts? One of the beautiful things about God's church in the New Testament is that we are actually commanded to encourage one another. God knows that we need encouragement. That's why he commanded us to encourage one another, to support one another. He's given us the community in the church to make sure that that happens. I was reading one uh, author earlier this week as she was reflecting on this text, and this is a woman who's written multiple books. She has been very active in uh, ministry work in the local church context. She was saying she never would have started writing if it weren't for people in her community telling her, you know, you're really gifted in this. I think you should be writing more. So my prayer for Grace Meridian Hill and for all of our churches in this area, let's be a church that helps each other process our gifts, that helps each other understand where each of us is gifted, but it's also a place that is quick to appreciate and quick to encourage people in their giftedness, a place that's, that's not shy about telling someone, thank you, I appreciate what you did so much. Thank you for the way you serve our children. Thank you for the way you opened up your home to us. Thank you for those words of encouragement when I was feeling low. You are gifted in that. Thank you. I needed that. We're all called in, uh, in some way to serve. We're all gifted in ways to serve, and we have a church community to help us navigate and discern that together and to be encouraged by each other. One last thing as we uh, think about this call to service, there's you know, a lot we can learn from what Jesus is teaching us in this parable from the different responses that each of these three servants have and how they interact with the master upon his return. Look at this initial response of this first servant in verse 16. He went away and at once started trading, and then the second servant does the same. The third servant, of course, though, he digs a hole in the ground to hide this one talent, this large sum of money that his master has given him. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't actually give us a lot of detail about what the master requests of his servants upon his departure. You know, in his telling, the master simply entrusts them with a portion of his property, of his finances. But I think this is intentional. The first two servants, they know their master. They know him. They understand why he would have entrusted them with what he did. They understand exactly what is being asked of them, and they respond. But then the third servant clearly does not know his master. At first, it's hard to to tell if he's making an excuse here in verses 24 and 25, trying to, to justify what he did after seeing the way that his master treated the other two servants. Or maybe he's actually scared, or maybe he was deliberately disobeying his master. Jesus suggests it's a combination of all of these. The master sees right through him in what he's saying. It's clear from both this third servant's initial response of digging a hole and hiding the money and the way he addressed his, his master upon his return that he doesn't know him. He doesn't know who he is. He not only doesn't see his own abilities that the master sees in him, 
he doesn't understand him or what he is asking of him as a servant, even though the other two had no problems and clearly understood it. As we think about how we're called to serve, as we think about where our gifts are and where the Lord is asking us to be a servant, about our vocations, about where we spend our time and our resources, there is nothing better that you can do as you explore this question than to know your master, to know the God who created you, who has given you these gifts, who has a vision for these gifts, who has a vision for how things are meant to operate in his kingdom that he shares with us in his word, to know his words of life for you. We've all been gifted and called in some way. Let's be a people who know the one who has called us. That's uh, how we are. That was our first point, how we are called to serve. Uh, Let's think about now for a couple minutes the purpose of our service, the purpose of our service. At uh, at Grace Downtown a few years ago at our fall retreat, y'all should go on the fall retreat. I have no doubt yours is as amazing as ours is. Please go. Ours was. Uh, We had a, a pastor named Zach Eswine come and be our retreat speaker, and he talked about the ordinariness, the, the, the regularness of what service looks like in God's kingdom and in the church. And he had this refrain that he spoke throughout the weekend that kind of became a, a, a mantra for us. I know for a lot of folks in our church afterwards, maybe y'all have heard this phrase too from him. He said, we are tempted to orient our desires towards doing large things in famous ways as fast and efficiently as we can. But almost anything in life that truly matters will require you to do small, mostly overlooked things over a long period of time. One of the things that uh, he's getting at in this quote, I think, is how much our motivations are shaped by our culture, by the way our, our, our culture views success in this life. So much of the way that most people would define success is to make your way to the top as quickly as possible, to be seen doing it so that you can make as big of a difference as possible. A positive difference, yes, but make as big of a difference as possible. And actually, at, at first glance, that vision for success kind of looks like what Jesus is holding up here as the model, doesn't it? Look at these, these, these two servants that Jesus puts on a pedestal for us to follow. They take the money that the master gave them and they double it. What a return on investment. Look at how fruitful their service was. Look at how much they got done while he was gone. That's why the master, when they settle accounts, says to them, well done, good and fruitful servant. You have made a sufficient return on my investment. Come enter the joy of, my mas- of your master. No, that's not what he says. What is he looking for? What is Jesus after? He chooses his words very carefully here. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. He's after your heart. He's after your faith. He's after faithfulness. He's not after effectiveness or productivity. Uh, Pastor Thabiti, who y'all will be hearing from later this fall, uh, he points out as he uh, looks at this passage how like, quick we are to jump to pragmatism in our context. We see fruit somewhere. We see good results, and we immediately jump to the question, how did they do that? Let's try to replicate that. How do we get this done? How are we effective like they were? But he points out that Jesus is not so much concerned with the question of how as the question of why. Why are you doing what you're doing? 
Asking how drives you towards results. Asking why drives you towards faithfulness. God does care about the results of our actions. He cares about the fruit of our service to him. He's made that his responsibility, not ours. And he graciously rules over his church, over the lives of everybody in this church in such a way that there is a connection between faithfulness and fruitfulness. We can expect there to be fruit when we serve faithfully. Be expectant about this year ahead. That's who God is. He loves taking your tiny little seed of faith and growing it and producing amazing things from it. That is the normal way of things in God's kingdom. We should expect that. That's the kind of God that he is. And so we should be eager, as much of a go-getter as these first two servants were, being faithful to God's call in our life and expectantly looking for God to be at work. But he's the one who bears the responsibility for the fruit of our service. You are called to be faithful. That's what God is looking for in your life. That is the purpose of his call for you. Be faithful over what I have given you. The ending of our uh, passage probably makes uh, a lot of us a little bit uncomfortable. We definitely don't want to just glance over this. It's a very dark ending to this parable. Cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. A lot of Jesus' parables actually do similar things to this. In, in In a lot of ways, he often draws a line between those who hear and respond and those who hear but do not respond, right? In a lot of ways, he, uh, in his parables, he uh, includes some and excludes others. He sifts the wheat from the chaff. He separates the sheep from the goats as he is speaking in parables. That's one of the purposes of why he spoke this way. And he often uses really strong language and, frankly, frightening imagery as well to emphasize the importance of what he is trying to teach us. He wants to provoke a response in you. He wants you to respond. He wants you to hear these words and respond. He wants to to, to prick our consciences a little bit in the way that he teaches. He wants you to understand the the gravity of what he is telling you, the importance of the, the invitation that he gives to you to be a servant in God's kingdom. There is weight to that. He doesn't give us this example of the the wicked and slothful servant because he wants us to be comfortable. He wants you to hear this message. He wants you to see him as a teacher worth following and a king worth serving. And he's he's willing to make us feel uncomfortable if that's what it takes to get our attention. He is a judge, and when he returns, he will give a judgment over our lives. And that ought to be a sobering thought. I hope it sobers us a little bit this morning as we think about it. Yes, Jesus is a a teacher who sometimes makes us uncomfortable, but that's not all he is for you. He's also a king who would die on behalf of his servants. He's a lion who would become a sacrificial lamb for you. He's a savior who went to the cross for a bunch of lowly sinners. And then after submitting to death and rising again from the grave and establishing his kingdom, he lavishes gifts on his people in abundance by the power of his spirit. He's also a father joyfully receiving the work of his children. He is honored and glorified by your service in his name. He really and truly is, and he doesn't have to be. 
He doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe you that. Yet, King Jesus receives what we have to offer him in our service, and our vocation, in the way we live our lives. He receives that with joy and satisfaction. Our good works would never be enough to make us righteous before God to earn salvation, but he takes our, our lowly, our ordinary, everyday work in whatever context he has called you to be in, and he fills it to the brim with meaning and significance and even power in his kingdom. He doesn't have to do this. Even him saying someday to you, well done, good and faithful servant, that is an act of grace, but he loves to do it. That's the kind of God we worship. That's the kind of God we serve. We are all going to be serving something in this life. Let's serve this God. The kind of king that we are called to serve is one of graciousness and love and even lowliness on our behalf. So I hope that uh, as you go out from this place, as we think about a little bit this weekend about what it means to love and serve the Lord in whatever our context is, remember your king loves you. He's gracious towards you. He receives your offering to him with joy. Y'all please uh, pray with me. God, our Heavenly Father, we uh, might be tempted to think of you as harsh and as cruel, but Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts to show us that you love us and you long for nothing more than for us to enter into eternal joy with you. That's what you're after. That's what you're after in our service to you. You are after spreading your kingdom and your goodness and your graciousness to draw as many people into the joy and rest that you offer as possible. God, we pray that you would bless the work of our hands, that you would give us clear hearts and understanding of what you are calling each of us to, and help us to encourage one another as we see their gifts being used. God, we pray in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior, this morning. Amen. Amen.